Welcome to the Core Women Podcast. My name is Dr. Summer Watson. I'm a doctor of psychology, podcaster, published author, coach, producer of documentary empowerment films, and empowerment seminars. This podcast is a special place for the hearts and souls of women. It is a place where women share their journeys, strength, resiliency, strategy, and passions. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Amy Reed, who describes herself as a recovering attorney who discovered, quite by accident, a passion for fiction writing. She is a USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. She writes in the gothic, contemporary, historical, and cozy mystery subgenres, and also loves to read, cook, and travel. We have so much to talk about, Amy. Let's get into this. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you for spending part of your day so with me. So let's touch on your history, being a lawyer, then getting into your passion for fiction writing. Okay. Uh, I graduated from law school. I went to school out in Indiana University. I went to law school out at Indiana University and I came back east once uh, I was ready to take the bar exam and ended up getting a job in New York City and I did not like it. And so once I started, you know, we started our family, I stopped working, at least temporarily. And then um, we moved from New York City down to South Jersey in Cape May County. And I, I worked for a short time for a, for a lawyer down here. And I, it just was not, I was not passionate about it. There was nothing I liked about it. So I decided one evening, actually, well, I was staying home with the kids and there was a, an author at a local library nearby who was giving just a three night workshop on writing and publishing. And I asked my in-laws if they would mind watching the kids for a couple nights and they said they would. So really it was just a way for me to get out of the house and kind of explore something that I'd been really interested in. Um, and I went to this talk by an author by the name of Annie Kelleher. Annie actually passed away this past March. Um, but this was, this was years ago before she got sick. And I found that I really, really loved it. And I, I couldn't even go to the third night of the workshop because my son was in the emergency room that night. So uh, I only did the, the first two nights of the workshop and I was just hooked. And that's when I started thinking more seriously about fiction writing. So I started working on this manuscript and it was a few years before I started really thinking, you know, I'm putting too much time in this, into this project, not to get paid for it. So at that point, it was at that point that I decided, you know, I really need to polish this up and, and maybe shop it around and look, look to have it published. So that's awesome. Well, that speaks to your journey. That speaks to your history. Now, as you, and I'm going to talk about this because I think this is really important for people to hear, especially when you're just starting to write, you want to get published. What was it like going out there and shopping that around? It was first, it starts out being confusing, I think, because there are so many publishers and you realize you really have to narrow, you know, some publishers, there are a lot of publishers who don't take certain types of manuscript, you know, some, some right. publishers don't do sci-fi. Some people don't do romance, whatever. Right. Um, it took me a long time to gather up a list of the publishers that I wanted to send it to. And actually, you know, looking back, it probably wasn't the, 
the the wisest way to go about doing it because I, I made my list first. It was this huge list. What I really needed to do was just start sending it out. Um, but I narrowed it down to a few publishers who didn't require agents because I had thought about it. And, and I still, I still go back and forth about whether I want an agent. And I've always, I've, I've always come down on the side of not right now. I don't, I don't want an agent just yet. Um, so I, I was looking for publishers who, who would accept uh, submissions without an agent. So that kind of narrowed down, you know, the number of publishers I could um, sh shop my manuscript around to. So, um, so at first it was confusing and then it just became daunting. Um, and, you know, a lot of these uh, publishers say, well, you know, you can't, we don't accept simultaneous submissions. So right. I, then you think, oh my God, do I have to wait three months to hear from one before I could send out to another? And honestly, I ended up just sending out the manuscript to three or four places at a time. So the first, the first place I sent it to was uh, a small independent publisher and they sent me a letter back saying, this is a really good manuscript and I like it. Um, but I don't, see you anywhere when I Google your name there was nothing nothing because when I practiced law it was still you know it was back before people were really really getting into the internet right um and so she was right I mean there was nothing and I always I, I had sworn you know I didn't want to be on social media I didn't want to be on Facebook I didn't want to be on Twitter I didn't want to do any of that stuff um but that's what she said. She said, you know, I, I Googled you. I don't see anything. She said, once you get to a point where you've got some kind of platform, call me and we'll talk. So I went out. I joined Facebook. I joined uh, WordPress, started a blog, designed myself a website. And I started very slowly getting my name out there. And in the meantime, I had sent the manuscript to another publisher and I got back like one of those little strips of paper that says, you know, I'm sorry, for whatever reason, we're not interested in your book. And I sent it to a third place and that was Kensington Publishing. And I got a call from the editor who said, I'd really like to talk to you about this. So I think I was really lucky that I only had to send out the manuscript three times. Right. Um, before I got some strong interest in it. And I did end up signing a contract with uh, Kensington later on that summer. So it started moving pretty quickly. It went from confused to daunting to, wow, this, this is really happening and I'm very, very excited about it. So that's, wow. that was sort of the journey. Well, that is so interesting. Now with that and having a publisher and going through that process of pitching and writing the manuscript. Now, at that point, what was expected of you by your publisher? Well, right away I learned that I was gonna be expected to market this book, obviously. That's what everyone learns. And everyone, I know I'm not alone in saying that you think you're gonna get this publisher and they're going to send you on book tours and they're going to do all this work to get your book into the hands of readers. And you find that really, no, that's the author's job. So finally, I understood the point of having a social media sort of presence before 
the first publisher wanted to look at that manuscript. So yeah, I realized I was going to have to do a lot of promoting. And that is a really great point that you make. And I think it's important for Mm -hmm. folks to know that because they think, ah, you're going to get this big paycheck out in the front. You're going to be marketed. (laughs) You're right, 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 right. You're going to go on tour. (laughs) And what the reality is you're doing a lot of that. And there, and there's so much out there now that you mm-hmm. got to be really smart about your marketing. You definitely have to understand what social media is about, your mm-hmm. demographic mm-hmm. that you're targeting. You know, right. so there's so much involved and you learn very quickly that if you want your book to sell, you're part of that process. Oh, you're a big part of that process. Absolutely. Okay, let's get into talking about your books and which one was your favorite to write and one of your biggest challenges and and why as a writer. Okay. My first book was called Secrets of Halstead House, and that was a book of gothic fiction, not gothic in the terms of like vampires and werewolves and stuff, but gothic in terms of it being a very atmospheric book in terms of the place the setting being a very important part of the book almost to the almost to the point where it was a character in itself Mm -hmm. um the first six books i wrote were in that gothic style and i my favorite author um for years one of my favorite authors had been phyllis whitney who was a very well-known gothic suspense writer um in the second half of the 20th century same with Victoria Holt, Mary Stewart. There's a lot of them um, in that group of of women who published during that time, that sort of mid-century time. So that was sort of a write what you know book. I, I said it where I grew up. So I knew, I knew the setting very well. And it was after that book that I, you know, as I was able to branch out a little bit into other places. Um, my favorite book to write. Hmm. I don't know. I I hate to sort of cop out, but I don't I don't know that I have a favorite. I, I'll tell you my husband's favorite. My husband's favorite is Highland Peril, which is the first book. It, it was a, the second book in my Malice series, the three books set in the United Kingdom. It's the first book where I really brought something from the past, uh, uh, an incident in the past, and really brought it into the future, and set the book around that event Mm -hmm. um sort of tied together a contemporary mystery with uh not ancient but a very old an old event and and an old mystery gotcha now as a writer what would you say has been one of your biggest challenges and why i think one of my biggest challenges i would say is coming up with um, a schedule or a routine that allows me to work on more than one book at a time. Um, I, I like to be working on at least two books at once. And what I found is that I, I work on one book in the morning. I try to work on the second book in the afternoon. And in between that time, you know, before I get to work on the first book and as I'm transitioning from the first to the second book, that's kind of when I do my social media stuff. Gotcha. Um, I have a, a pretty set order in which I, I do social media from one day to the next, like Facebook is first. 
And then I go on, you know, and I, I check my email and I do Facebook and I do Pinterest. Then after lunch, I do Twitter and I work on the second book. And um, so that's been really challenging for me in part, just finding a routine that works best for me. And in part, because there's a part of me that wants to work on three books at once or four books at once. And it, it's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to prioritize what I want to do, what, what I want to work on. And I, so what ends up happening really is I spend the morning working on the book that's going to be published next. And then the afternoon is usually the book that's going to be published after that book. So it kind of, that's how I've, I've sort of come to structure my time, but I've been through so many iterations of that routine and that schedule that it, it really, um, it was hard. It was hard to find a balance, but I think I found it. Well, it's good to hear about your strategy because I think that for most of us, we have to keep working on that. And there are days also, since you're working from home, that maybe life gets in the way or that something comes up. And so how do you keep that at bay when you're trying to keep focused? I have a lot of days like that. I have a lot of days <laughs> where life gets in the way. And I just have to work around them. You know, if I have to work later in the evening or if I have to, you know, tell my kids, look, you, you got to let me do this for an hour. I need an hour to just get something done. Then that's what I have to do. But yeah, there are plenty of days where life gets in the way and you just have to find a way to work around it. Nice. it, it sometimes Twitter will drop off and I have to say, like, if any of my social media drops off, unfortunately, it's usually Twitter that has to go. Um, so there are days I don't get on Twitter at all. Um, if, okay. if things get in the way, but, but I can't do everything. So something's got to right. give on some days. Absolutely. And I think it's important for folks to know that, that mm -hmm. you got to give yourself some grace and you have to say, this is what's going to go. This mm -hmm. is first, yes. this is my first priority today. Something happens and life demands that you pay attention. Well, then you've mm -hmm. got to go to, to what you need to pay attention to and then get to your next task. Yes, so exactly. I, I like that strategy. I like that you're being really honest about, Hey, this is what happened. Now, what, what platform would you say that you get the most leverage? I would say is a, there are days I think it's Facebook and there are days I think it's Twitter. I found a lot of readers through Twitter and I have found some really beautiful connections with people through Twitter. Like I know, you know, Bibiana Crawl. Yes. Um, you know, she and I connected on Twitter and it's been, it's been beautiful since then. You know, we support each other and we have this YouTube channel together with Veronica uh, Klein Barton. Yes. And, and so that's been such a blessing and such a, a wonderful collaboration. And there have been other people I've met on, on Twitter who, you know, I keep in pretty close, frequent contact with. Um, the same is true with Facebook, but I feel like with Twitter, it's a more intimate group. As big as Twitter is and as diverse and spread out as it is, I find that's where I've made some really, really close connections. Um, Facebook is more of a sort of drop in, drop out type of thing. And I, I do check in, you know, there are certain people who post on my stuff every day. And, 
you know, I love those people and I, and I am grateful for them. And I have a very close relationship with a lot of them. Um, so that's why I say there are some days when, when I feel like Facebook is the answer to that question. And some days when I feel like Twitter is the answer to that question, but I try to give equal time to Facebook right. and Twitter every day, just, and just to maintain those relationships that, that I've come to depend on. Absolutely. And I think it takes time to nurture relationships. And so mm -hmm. you find what I call your home. And I think I found that in Instagram, where a lot of the folks that I work with have found that on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. But now mm -hmm. I'm starting to really, really nurture that Twitter. Yeah. You know, that Twitter mm -hmm. side. So it, exactly. it's funny, but you find your home, so to speak, right? Yes. Yes. And you can move homes. You can change right. homes just like you do in your life. Like, for a while, I was on Instagram every day, several times a day. I was posting every day. I was doing stories. And I've sort of moved away from that. And, and you know, I, I always have that intention of getting back in. But really, there's only so much you can do. And right. you got you to gotta let go at some, time, some yeah. point and, and say, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I can do. And that's the best I can do. Absolutely. Giving yourself, again, permission to say, hey, there's only so much time and space for me. And right now I have to focus on this. So right. let's get to your most recent work, which was published in June of this year, which is called Cape Menace, mm -hmm. a Cape May historical mystery. Right. Tell the listeners a bit about this book and your inspiration for it. All right. I'll do the inspiration first. Okay. I've lived in Cape May County since the year 2003. We bought a house here in 1997 and we were sort of going, you know, coming down here on weekends when we lived in New York, we were coming down on weekends. We finally moved here in 2003, uh, just a few months after my son was born. And for years, my husband has been saying to me, why don't you write a book about Cape May? We live here. You can do the research just by getting in the car and going down the road. Why are you not writing about Cape May? And and I wanted to, but it just seemed like there was always another project I had going on. Um, and, you know, not just writing things, but community things. You know, I was vice president of the PTA for, uh, for years, and I was involved in church, and I was involved in other charities. And um, so finally I said, you know what? It's a great idea. I have all this, such a wonderful history in this county, and it's available to me. Why am I not doing something with this? So that was really sort of the inspiration for writing about Cape May. And then the inspiration for writing that particular book came when I started doing research um, about the area. And my plan or the idea that I had for this collection was I wanted to set mysteries all throughout Cape May's history at different time periods. And I want them to all be standalones. So say, for example, if you're into, you know, world, if you're, if you're into the Victorian area era, you could go, just go start with the Victorian book that I will eventually write. World War II, same thing. If you dig the World War II stuff, start with the World War II book. Um, so the books will all be unconnected and standalone mysteries. It, they'll have one thing in common is that they're in and around Cape May. So the beginning of this, this county, when, when the county was first settled, 
by Europeans, it was really, the more I learned about it, the more I was fascinated by it. So I thought, you know what, this is a great place to start this mystery. And, you know, originally there were only 40 or 50 people in the, in the Cape. Um, so I had to have a story that was set in a pretty tight knit place where everybody would know about everybody else. Uh, it was a whaling community. So, you know, and it's right on the sea. So, uh, you know, the sea was involved and, and so there were a lot of things that to, came together, I think, to, to, to inspire me to write that story. It is the story of a young woman, almost a girl really, who had moved here from England with her parents in the year 1710, I think. And then year 1712, her name is Sarah. Uh, Sarah's mom went missing. Mm. And there were a lot of wolves, you know, there were a lot of wild animals here at the time. The assumption was that Sarah's mother was attacked by wolves in the woods. The weird thing was though, that nothing was ever found. No clothing, her shoes weren't found. You know, so the wolves would have had to devour absolutely everything plus what she was wearing and whatever she may have been carrying, which was kind of weird. So the story starts two years after Sarah's mom goes missing and Sarah and her dad have never really stopped hoping that the mom will come home again, but they have to move on with their lives and, and come to the realization that, yeah, she may never come home. Um, and so the book is about Sarah trying to figure out what happened to her mom. And that's, that's what the book is. You know, obviously dead bodies here and there, but for the most part, it's Sarah's search for her mom. Yeah. Well, I'm intrigued. It sounds very interesting. And something very interesting as well is you were drawn to Cape May and you moved there and you had been there for several years before you started writing about it. So something right, very- right. So that's interesting. Something that through you, but you never recognize what in fact drew you and how that could become part of your your writing history, so to speak. Right, right. So. And I think, yeah, I'm I'm amazed at how much I've learned about this area since starting to read about it. And I, you know, I realized like, all those years I lived in New York City. I never went to the Statue of Liberty. I've still never been to the Statue of Liberty. And I realized, you know. I think a lot of people, when you live somewhere, you just take it for granted. You just, you don't think, hey, you know, I should go learn more about the place where I live. You're kind of, you're, you're interested in other things and, and you figure it'll always be there. And then, oh, and then, and when you're young too, like, you're not thinking about, you're not thinking about the importance of learning about where you grew up like now. I'm far more interested in the history of Northern New York where I grew up than I was when I lived there. Right. Um, but I think, you know, I think that's true with a lot of people, but it's fascinating the history of a place where you think there's not much history. It, it's really yeah. amazing. It's fun. It to really learn. is. I mean, and it's funny that you mentioned about not being, not visiting somewhere since you've lived there, you know, mm-hmm. and So I come from Northern California, a small coastal town, and I was raised there. So this is just a funny aside that when I met Bibiana, she was visiting the West Coast (laughs) and her intention was to go to the Winchester Mystery House. Oh, yeah. And 
I had never been there. I've <laughs> raised next to that place. <laughs> so that funny? Yet to be there. She's like, do you want to go? I'm like, I just don't have the time because at the time I was on a book tour. So it's <laughs> funny that you mentioned that because it's absolutely true. You it just is. think that that place is always going to be there, mm-hmm. that you'll have time and you just kind of push it aside, push it aside. But then, you know, you get the time and you start doing a little reflection and then you start doing a little research and here it is that Cape May is part of your journey. It's part mm-hmm. of your story. It's part of your research. So we're going to move forward and thank you for describing that book. But did you, and have you ever doubted yourself as a writer? And if so, how did you overcome that doubt? Yes. To answer, yes. Short answer. I have doubted myself as a writer. I think everybody has themselves as a writer at some point or other. And you know what? I have a pretty predictable thought path with every book. It's like, you know what? I think this is a really good idea. And then I start writing and I like it. And then I get to the middle. I'm like, this really stinks. Like I am the worst. And then I get to the end. I'm like, uh, it's better than I thought, but it's a mess. So I go back, I edit it. And I think I'm never going to get through this. And then I get to the end and I think I really like this book. Like That's the thought process in every single book. And so when I get discouraged, my husband is like, you say this every time. You always say, this is the worst book I've ever written. And then you get to the end and you like it. I said, well, just go along for the ride because you know what's going to happen. And so that, yes, I, every single book, I, I feel, I get discouraged. Well, it's nice that you have a squad, you know, a person to kind of lift you up, support you. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's a message that we need to promote is that it's important to surround yourself with people that are supportive, that want to lift you up in your journey, that will be honest with you and say, hmm, you know, um, (laughs) this is great. (laughs) You know, and be able to take that because that's difficult because some writing is so, it's so personal. It's, it can be very personal. People can get very sensitive over it. And yet we still need to keep objectivity and we need folks around us that are going to be honest, not cruel, but honest and say, Hey, you know what? Keep at it. You can do this. You know, that needs a little tweaking or, you know, I'm interested in, in, in that subject as well. Mm -hmm. So that's great to hear that insight. So talk about your show Bookum. Let's see. Well, I had put up something on Twitter. I had a pinned tweet that said, Hey, you know, if your book club wants to talk about one of my books, especially during this pandemic, I am more than happy to Skype in and we'll talk about it. So Bibiana said, you know, that's a really cool idea. Have you gotten any bites? No. So she said, let me think about this and let's see what we can do with this. And before I know it, she, she's a dynamo, first of all, and she has all these great ideas and, and she makes them happen. And so she said to me, you know, how about a a YouTube show? How about a YouTube show where we talk about books and we talk about things that are going to help people through this pandemic? And we talk about our books. We talk about other people's books and just kind of life in general. And it went from there and I just love it. And so 
she knows Veronica Klein Barton. And actually I met Veronica. She, she said to me, she knew I was going to BoucherCon in Dallas last October, November. And she said to me, Hey, Veronica Klein Barton is going to be there too. And she'd love to meet you. So I'm at BoucherCon and this woman walked up to me and I didn't even realize at first it was Veronica. And she said, Hey, you know, I, I've heard of you through Bibiana. And, and so, so the three of us started to get to know each other a little better and, and Bibiana started, you know, really pulling together this idea. Um, and it's structured so that like she has a week and then Veronica has a week and then I have a week. And then we start circling back around again um, in that order. And we have three segments. There's usually an intro and sort of a goodbye. And then in between that, there are three segments where, you know, we'll talk about one of our books and then we talk about something, anything that we find interesting that we, th that we think might interest other people. You know, Bibiana has talked about some of the places around her where she lives and Veronica has talked about um, traveling and I showed people how to make a salad and you know it's just stuff like that and then we spend usually the third segment talking about somebody else's book so that you know we get other people out there I think Bibiana did one of your books didn't she um, not yet not yet but she oh, I did. thought she did she okay. put the book in, in in the background so I did notice oh, okay Okay. It's great. So, okay. Yes, no, it's exciting though. I love your show. I love that you three have come together that so you talk about your book. It's kind of like an afternoon tea for me. It's kind of like, that's okay, nice. It's a little break. And mm -hmm. I call it my afternoon tea and <laughs> I set time aside. If I can catch the live, um, the mm -hmm. initial live, if I can catch that, that's fabulous. If I can't, because I'm doing other things, then I actually will go back to it and just take that break that I need. It's kind mm -hmm. of like refreshing. It's uplifting. I like that the first part is just kind of an intro and talking about what you've been up to. The second part is a review of one of your books, um, which I absolutely love because that introduces me to something new, potentially to read um, mm -hmm. when I get the chance. And I also love that you integrate your personalities into that. So mm -hmm. one of you talks about travel. The other talks about your area in which you live. The other, you talk about maybe a recipe. And I loved that strawberry, was it a strawberry spinach salad recipe? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I love it. So great. So I think that it's such a great time to have a show like that. And it's so well produced. So I think it's a great time and you get so much out of it and it's a good 15, 20 minutes, perfect time for me to just go, oh, I can take this little break and it's yes. my afternoon tea. So thank you for yeah. all of you for doing that. Now, we're oh, thank you. Bibiana, especially she's <laughs> and, and Veronica, you know, for, for the two of them asking me to be part of it, it's, you know, shout out to both of them because they're amazing. Yeah, it's, it's a fabulous little show on YouTube, so I love it. So we're getting to towards the end of the interview, and I want to ask you, Amy, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would that be? 
this is an easy question for me. And, you know, some people, I know Bibiana especially, will have heard this before, but it was back in 2014. It was July. My first book had just come out. And I was so excited. And you know how much work goes into a book. It's, you're so proud of it when it finally gets out there. And the reviews were good until one day I got a one-star review from somebody. And I called my editor in a complete panic and he had to talk me down. And he, he said, <clears throat> and I'll never forget it. He said, the worst or the best thing about being a writer is that you get to put your work out there. And the worst thing about being a writer is that you get to push your work out. And he's, he's so right. It, there's so much good about it. And there's so much to love about it. But at the same time, it's terrifying because you're putting yourself out there and you're opening yourself up for criticism from people you never, you'll never know, you've never met. And I still get, you know, I got a two-star review a couple weeks ago. And at this point, you know, I don't love those reviews, but I can learn from them. And I can after a couple hours, let them sort of roll off. My kids get far more upset about the negative reviews at this point than I do. <laughs> Writing is something, I'll go back to this, is very personal. Mm -hmm. And when you put yourself out there and you're writing out there, who knows what you're going to get? Because the beauty of it is you have this opportunity to do something and expose your writing to other people. But by mm -hmm. doing so, you also expose yourself and open yourself up to some great things and also some criticism. And from that, we just move on and we learn. So great. And, and if I could just real quick add to that, you know, as solitary as it is to, to write a book, you need a support system because you can't write in a vacuum. You have to have people around you who are going to say to you, you know what, that was, that was a good book. And don't, don't listen to the haters. Right. So that's right. Absolutely. That's important. Absolutely. Well, thank you for those words of wisdom, Amy. Thank you for joining me on the core women podcast today. This was wonderful. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. If you'd like to know more about Amy, you can learn more about her and her books at linktree slash Amy M read author. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about core women in your social media posts, please hashtag core women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about core women and please stay tuned for continued growth of the core women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.